can't remember ever starting a sermon with a movie trailer before, but I thought some of you would want to know about this one. Uh, Jim Caviezel is a devout Catholic. Uh, He tends to make uh, good movies. I'm sure he'll do a good job playing Luke. Um, James Faulkner, according to his Wikipedia filmography, has been in wonderfully biblical works like Game of Thrones, (laughs) Underworld Blood Wars... Atomic Blonde and Bridget Jones Diary. Uh, So an obvious path to play the Apostle Paul there. Uh, But I thought the the imagery might be helpful for us because it's set um, in the first century, uh, the movie, in the Mamertine prison. Uh, First century, uh, Paul writing from uh, chains, which is really right where we are in our ongoing study uh, through 2 Timothy. Um, If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, Warm welcome. Really glad you're here. Uh, Second Timothy is the book we're working through this winter. Uh, key themes in the book include endurance in suffering, uh, next generation ministry, having an eternal perspective, and then particularly, uh, as was mentioned a little bit earlier in the service, and in these last couple of chapters, there's this strong emphasis on God's word, the, the authority of God's word, the power of God's word, Greek word dunamos, uh, like dynamite. Um, there's a great quote from the 1800s preacher Spurgeon. He says this, a great many learned men are defending the gospel, No doubt it is very proper and a right thing to do. Yet, I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I would suggest to them if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare to approach him. Well, it's a good image, isn't it? That that here at MCC, I don't want to be a people. (laughs) I don't want to be a church. That, that stands around just you know, debating God's word. Let it loose. And scripture always brings life. If God's word is like a lion, just open up the cage. That's a, that's a, a key truth, maybe the key truth in this morning's text. If God's word is like a lion, Just open up the cage. So, let's do that. Uh, If you're not already there, this morning we are in our penultimate study through 2 Timothy. Uh, This is page 996 if you're using the church Bibles. So this morning is sermon 6 of 7. Next week we'll finish it up. Uh, Like Kathy mentioned, God has been faithfully growing our church, so next Sunday, both services. We're not dropping down to just one uh, for President's Day weekend. 2 Timothy chapter 4, everybody there? Coming off of uh, chapter 3's discussion, which was Paul, you know, talking about the last days, and the last days biblically run from the the ascension of Christ all the way to the the return of Christ. In the last days, this is what it's going to look like, first half of chapter 3, so then this is how Christians in response are to live, second half of chapter 3, and now that brings us uh, to the beginning of chapter 4. 
Verse 1, hear now the very word of our Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So I got three headers uh, to help us chart a path through the text. First header, it's kind of obvious from the text, preach the word. Preach the word. Because remember, 2 Timothy is essentially Paul's last will and testament. Uh, Paul has now devoted upwards of 30 years to service of Christ. Um, Timothy, his protege, is now coming to the forefront, and these, very, uh, these verses are very concerned with projecting out then the long view in in light of all that's happening here. This morning's text, if you notice, it both begins, verse 1, and then it also ends, verse 8, by looking over the horizon into eternity. Um, There's a great little line of poetry from pastor and playwright Frederick Langbridge. He uh, he paints a scene of two guys in a single prison cell, and uh, the line goes like this. Two men looked through the bars. One saw the mud, but the other, the stars. And that's what we find in verse 1. In a prison cell, Paul, but he's looking to the stars, as it were. Quote, to Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and his kingdom. So Paul's taken us once again, and we've seen it a lot in the text now, he's taken us straight to the long view. We got this thumbnail sketch of eternity, Christ's return, final judgment, and then he says, in light of that grand and awesome event, which is still ahead of us, preach the word. <laughs> Why? Well, because it's been it's, it's so clearly stated over and over now in the book, because God's word is like a hammer, Right? like a hammer that uh, smashes a rock to pieces. God's word comes and it smashes our pride. It shatters our self-sufficiency. God's word, when it comes empowered by the Holy Spirit, it takes cold hearts and it warms them to our creator. Works magnificently in the heart. So preach the word. The pulpit calls the preacher the way that the sea calls the sailor. And when you're, whenever you're, you're sharing the good news of Christ, listen, whether it's a pastor on a platform, 
or it's a businessman in his office or two friends at Starbucks. There will come times when you preach to receptivity and there will come times when you preach to hostility, which is why Paul says explicitly then in verse two, you need to be ready to preach God's word in season and out of season. In season and out of season. I'll be the first to admit that depending on circumstances, sometimes the prospect of preaching fills you with delight and sometimes with dread. Uh, I think the rest of MCC's preaching team will probably affirm uh, along with me uh, that it is much harder to preach when things are upside down in your own life, uh, when a wave has knocked you down, or when another person has knocked you down. Uh, you guys know the old joke, the, the mom goes in uh, on Sunday morning to wake her son up for the church, and he says, I don't want to go. <laughs> she says, you have to go, son. I don't want to go. You have to go. Why do I have to go? Well, two reasons. Because you're 45 years old and because you're the pastor. (laughs) I can can identify with that a little bit. (laughs) Not often. Not often at all. I mean, you're a very good church. Uh, But there are days. (laughs) There are days, right? For all of us. Pastors, parents, principals when we may be called to share the good news of Jesus Christ at the same time that our own heart is breaking. It's not convenient. It's not in season. Which is why it's so very comforting to know the result is not dependent on us. If God's word is like a lion, just open up the cage. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So reprove some of your translations. If you're reading, I think, NIV, that'll say correct. This means that from God's word, we point out what is right. Rebuke. From God's word, we point out what is wrong. Exhort. From God's word, we encourage. And we, we, you know, we build up. And all of that has to be done. Here comes the annoying part into verse 2. With complete what? Why does it have to be complete patience? Why not just like a wee bit of patience? (laughs) Or, Or a moderate amount? Nope. Not good enough. When we let God's word out of the cage, you also got to give time for God's spirit to do what only God's spirit does. Um... It was years ago uh, at our, our previous church that Sarah said to me one day, hey, there's a new girl named Dina who has started coming to our mom's group. She just moved up from Florida. I think she'd do well with a little bit of pastor time. So uh, following Wednesday, I walked down the hall, introduced myself, asked if she'd like to hang out over a cup of coffee. We met in my office shortly uh, thereafter. Um, she was going through some stuff. I listened. I shared my story, I shared the gospel, and she prayed with me then and there to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm so good at this! (laughs) It's amazing! 30 minutes and bam, she's a Christian! Have the whole town saved by next year. 
And then she, then she says to me, on her way out, she turns around and says, I gotta call Kay. I said, who's Kay? She says, oh, Kay's the lead. When I was a telemarketer in Florida, for two years we sat beside one another, and for two years she told me all this Jesus stuff. <laughs> and I thought, rats! <laughs> Wasn't me! Shocker! Turns out it was some middle-aged woman, hundreds of miles away, who is faithful in season and out of season to reprove, to rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So here in the last letter that he writes, Paul's first priority, number one, point number one, is to preach the word. Point number two, no matter what. No matter what. I'm at verse three now. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You guys know this is true. You do it and I do it, right? Whether it comes to politics, education, sports, the, the cable news stations that we watch, the newspapers that we read, far too often we determine what we want to hear and then we find someone who will say it to us, and we do it with theology just the same. I've told you guys before that you, you really need to follow uh, the Babylon Bee in your Facebook news feed. When it comes to skewering everything that is flaky about the 21st century church, this is really the place to go. Their satire is the best. This is a headline from last week. Church surveys community to discover which doctrines it should abandon. <laughs> Quote, in a bid to better understand the community surrounding their popular megachurch, Life Vision church leaders reportedly conducted a survey among neighborhood residents over the past week asking which historic Christian doctrines the church should jettison in order to get people in the door. The short survey, administered by a team of door-to-door -door volunteers, asked residents how long they had lived in the area, what religion they identified with, if any, and which Christian beliefs they find abhorrent so that we can best know how to pander to you. Which of the following historic positions can we toss out the window to cater to your sensibilities, the survey reads. Please check all that apply. The one-page questionnaire then lists over 30 Orthodox Christian positions that the church is happy to disown at a moment's notice. Head visioneering pastor Mark Lyle told a local news station, there are literally tons of indispensable doctrines we are happy to fling by the wayside should they make you uncomfortable. Just let us know. Now, even though I use the word satire, there's still 15 of you in this room who think that that's a real news article because you've seen it far too often. Rob Bell, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Stephen Furtick, the, the, whatever the name's guy, the, the guy who wrote The Shack, um, men and women who have made millions and millions of dollars preaching what itching ears want to hear. Prosperity theology, universalism, half gospels that are really no gospels at all. Listen, when it comes to choosing a church, the question is not, do, do they say everything that I like? The question is, do they handle the Bible right? Without that, we're just gonna bring 
They the best of us. Because, you know, the best of men are men at best. The, the, the best of us, we're going to bring our desire of, you know, well, what do I want to hear about my finances? And then we're going to find someone to tell that to us. What do, I, what, what do I want to hear about my sexual preferences? And then I'm going to find someone to tell me that. And we just tick our way down the list, checking boxes. And it's always been this way, right? 600 years before Jesus Christ, Jeremiah said, quote, chapter 5, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. Listen, I get it. I get the temptation to be inventive and entertaining. I can remember, in my head I see the images, but in my heart I feel what it was like those first couple of years serving in Chira, South Carolina, when that church was growing so very slowly. And I can see myself Sunday after Sunday in suit and tie in my office after Sunday school, before the service began, looking out my window at the parking lot entrance, praying, dear God, bring one single car that I don't already recognize. I understand all of the temptation to preach light, clever, entertaining sermons, blessed thoughts, and then the discipline over and over to preach to my own soul. Trav, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you move away from the Bible, if you, if you start to take baby steps away from it, it's not that people are going to begin to believe nothing. It's that people will begin to believe everything. That's exactly what we see in our culture today. This is how we are, okay? It is, fu- it is our very nature to prefer novelty to orthodoxy. Right where we are. I can point to a dozen churches in our, and I, listen, you know I hate, I hate lobbing stones at other Christians, but the reality is I can point to so many churches. They take, uh, you know, it's a, it's a cool, chatty approach. You know, come in, grab a cup of tea, Make yourself comfortable. We do not want you to be unduly affected at all. There's one thing that the decline of the mainline denominations have showed us over the years. It's that in that context, thinking men and women will eventually begin to ask themselves, what am I coming here for then? Right? And soon there's no expectation on the part of the congregation that they'll ever hear God speak because there's no expectation on the part of the preacher that God will ever speak. And so in contrast, what we're trying to model in here so that all of us then do it out there is that Christians share the word of God in light of the judgment of God, whatever the response of the people far from God. This is what we're after. Humbly, graciously, patiently, We share the word of God in light of the judgment of God, whatever the response of those far from God. Neither you nor I need to rest on the power of our personality or the strength of our credentials or any of that stuff. If God's word is like a lion, just open up the cage.
It's what your neighbor needs. It's what your boss needs. It's what your family needs. And go home. Pick up your little girl. Put her on your lap. And then preach it to your own soul. That this precious little girl that God has entrusted to me, what she needs more than anything is a redeemer. She, she needs Jesus more than she needs swimming lessons. She needs Jesus more than she needs honors classes. She needs parents and grandparents who with God's word, both in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And how long do we do this? Well, that's where we finish. Um, you got preach the word. No matter what, last one, until the end. <laughs> until the end. It's been said that the older you get, the, the more um, the years pass by like fence posts on a country road. And some of us can uh, affirm that. I my own experience, you know, months beginning to fade into years, I have a sneaking suspicion that before too long, years begin to fade into decades. In fact, um, I can now tell you exactly when I'm going to die. To the day. Do you guys know about this? Deathclock.com. Oh, it's a very cheerful place, really. I put in my birth date, my gender, non-smoker, and uh, my body mass index. <laughs> that was depressing in and of itself. <laughs> and then I've, it, it spits back out that I could expect to die sometime on Saturday, September 25th, 2049. <laughs> so, just so you know, I now have roughly 997 million seconds left to exist. Seems kind of morbid. But imagine if it were real. Well, for Paul, it kind of is. Right? Because he knows the executioner is not far. He's, he doesn't appear to be imminent because later on in the chapter he's going to reference you know, making it through the winter and a warm cloak and that sort of thing. But the executioner is near. He knows that. Verse 6, he writes, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, the drink offering, that's Old Testament imagery. First time we see it, I see it, I think, is Genesis 35 when Jacob and his family had behaved very, very badly. Uh, and then uh, in order to make something of a fresh start and purify their lives, they go up to Bethel, they build a, an altar, um, and they, they pour out, Jacob pours out oil and wine on it as if to say, this is, this is my life. This is symbolic of my life being poured out unto the service of God. And so now for Paul, borrowing that same imagery, which is then woven throughout the Old Testament, it says that the time for his departure, Greek analusis, is drawing near. That's the word I think I've told you before that um, would be used of um, unshackling uh, like oxen or beasts of burden at the end of the day. Uh, it's a word used for weighing anchor for a ship. It's a word used for collapsing a tent and heading home. There's nothing quite like the prospect of death to clarify the issues of life. British writer Samuel Johnson once said, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. 
This is true. If you've got 14 days before the hangman's noose, it's going to bring into sharp relief the things that are really significant to you. And for Paul, he's saying, my whole life is being poured out like a drink offering. And so in the midst of that, what, what I want to say to you, Timothy, is continue preaching the gospel. If God's word is like a lion, Timothy, just let it out of its cage. I remember with Paul, he was once himself going that way. And then God's word came in. And ever since, he's been going this way. So now at the end, as the time of his analusis draws near, there appears to me in the text to be no boasting that he's won the race. Just celebration that he's going to finish the race. Reminds me of Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And for every one of us, that race looks a little bit different, right? For some of us, it's relatively straight. (laughs) For others of us, I mean, it's all zigzags and switchbacks and inclines. Some of us, the race is quite, quite long. Some of us, it's considerably shorter. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. It's kind of like elementary school day. Do you remember? Um, Field day. When your dad, he said, hey, listen. I'm going to be standing right here. Behind the finish line. Behind the tape. Okay? And, And when they say go, you don't look to your left. And you don't look to your right. You don't look behind you. <laughs> you just look at me. And you pump those little legs. And you run. And of course, all of us on field day, as soon as they said go, what do we do? <laughs> looked over here. And here, here we got God. We got Jesus Christ, as it were, standing behind the tape. And he's looking at you and he's like, child, keep your eyes on me. <laughs> Keep your eyes on me. You will finish this race. Wherever you are in this race, Christian, you will finish this race. He says, I got you. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my